This podcast is the weekly wrap-up. From the desk at Old Mates, this is the Backyard Tech Podcast. Morning everyone, the weekly wrap-up returns this week. Three stories that I want to give you my opinion on and one I want to set the facts straight because of a comment by an idiot. Uh, And that's infuriated me. We'll get to that shortly. Let's jump into the first one that caught my eye from um, this past week's tech news today, and that's James Dyson's company, Dyson, inventing a ventilator to treat COVID-19 patients using their digital motor technology in just 10 days. Now, look, the opinions of Dyson vary, but let's face it, when you buy a Dyson product, it costs. They built a fully fledged medically, for want of a better term, assessed ventilator in just 10 days. It takes some companies years to develop a good ventilator. And here you've got Dyson with their acclaimed digital motor technology building one in just 10 days. As we saw in the article, um, uh, where was it again? Boris Johnson rang James Dyson and said, help. And in 10 days, with uh, the technology partnership, they were able to design and build a a ventilator based on the digital motor technology in just 10 days. And that is just uh, unbelievable ability. And then he said he'd be donating 5,000 additional Dyson ventilators to international relief efforts with 1,000 going, uh, 1,000 of which will go to the UK. Now, Credit where credit's due to James Dyson. You can't begrudge him the credit, and you certainly can't say he hasn't stepped up to the floor in this. We know countries around the world are battling this horrific pandemic. But it takes, you know, some of the big medical companies, you know, um, medical technology companies spend years developing them. He did it in just 10 days. Credit where credit's due, I say, kudos to James Dyson and the Dyson Company, because I think they've belted that one out of the park. And countries around the world are screaming, and we are here in Australia. The states are in an absolute shocking mess. The UK's stuffed. So James Dyson, in what essentially is very tough trading time for business, has turned around and gone, right, leave it with me. Absolutely fantastic. You got to give him. You can't. You cannot begrudge the guy any kudos, none whatsoever. And if you are, it ain't fair. Intel bringing their tenth gen chips to gaming laptops. This is going to be fairly big. We know that the tenth gen Core i5, seven and nine series CPUs can get to five gig. Obviously, we know that in some cases, especially with like a Zeus and that, a lot of the time you'll find the gaming laptops are embedded with NVIDIA uh, GT or RT-based GPU graphics cards. 
This puts gaming on a laptop in a whole new level now. And I think you're going to find that in some cases, at least at the hardware spec, I couldn't give a stuff about the software. We know that. I don't, I don't do software. But at the hardware level, this is going to give some gaming laptops either on par with your PC or in some cases marginally higher in your hardware spec than a, than a PC. Now, we know Acer... Zeus, Gigabyte, uh, etc. produce gaming PCs specifically. But generally speaking, most people will custom build a PC to suit what they do. I do. I don't buy a PC. I custom it. Now, if I was into software and into gaming, I would probably be running around. I would have saved the money up and gone out and got a Core i7 eight core 16 thread or a core i9 and stuff like that because we know when you custom build hardware you have far more flexibility with it than you do with pre-built stuff but i think with intel now we know intel's on 10 10 nanometer that's fine remember the tech news today story i did a couple of weeks ago i think it was regarding the fact that amd is now coming out with seven nanometer um base and intel's only sticking at 10 because they can't get to it and they probably won't get to it till the end of next year but in that story i said the thing that might save intel is the gaming the higher clock speed we know these days and i mean i don't necessarily subscribe to this but we know these days and it has been that way now for the best part of 20 years the speed wars are still out there and so are the core wars too. Threadripper does hurt Intel. But Intel, as it said in the article, are aiming at clock speed for that niche gaming market. And gamers want more and more and more and more speed to get higher and higher and higher and higher fraps so that you don't get that lag when you're gaming. And we know NVIDIA's trying their damnedest with you know, graphics cards and GPUs and core counts and onboard RAM. You know, you're getting some graphics cards out there now that have got, you know, 16 to 24 gig of RAM. GDDR5 or 6, I think we're up to now. So Intel's hoping for those that use laptops to gain that the 10 nanometer 5 gig models will give them an edge up over the AMD system. We'll wait to see what happens. Now, I'm a little bit annoyed. Um, someone's got their bloody facts wrong. Let's start off with this. Now, BT's into new five-year deal with IBM to outsource BT's mainframe management to them. Right? Someone said that Lenovo owns IBM. Well, no, they don't. No, they don't. 2004. 2005, Lenovo bought IBM PC from IBM. A few years later, they bought the server range. So IBM now basically focuses itself on quantum computing, IaaS, IoT, and cloud. When they when Lenovo built IBM's PC range, and this is this is this has been around for years. I've known this. 
When IBM, when Lenovo bought out IBM's PC stuff, IBM bought an 18.9% stake, or 20% stake, something like that, 18.9% stake in Lenovo, and gradually fell down. I think they're under the 5% mark now, or something like that. So no, Lenovo does not own IBM. Lenovo owned and bought Think Center, Think Servers, E Servers, um, not Sun E Servers, that's Sun Fire E, but IBM E Servers, which are e commerce systems, so on and so forth. And that was back in 2005. Now, what IBM has now is cloud, IAAS, IoT, middleware, um, quantum computers. They're still producing, I think, the Z series mainframes, which are not just your average rack mount servers. We're talking about mainframe. So, which Lenovo did not buy. So BT has inked a five-year deal to outsource its mainframe system and management to IBM. Now we know IBM is on a personnel clean out. They're trying to get Get rid of the old dead wood, so to speak, and bring in new stuff. Now, obviously, workers at BT are worried about losing their jobs, and they have every right to be. We know, and I've covered it here at Backyard Tech, IBM's on a clean-out. Now, um, there's a 12-month handover period so that those who understand BT's mainframe are teaching and passing on their knowledge to the new guys at IBM who are going to maintain, service, take care, monitor, you name it, of BT's mainframe system. Now it's a five year deal, we know that, worth, actually it doesn't say how much it's worth, I don't, Uh, oh, well, that's right, yeah, because the five-year contract with IBM um, nestles within BT's intention to close the um, PSTN, or publicly switched telephone network, by 2025. It doesn't say how much it was. Um, I don't think it actually says, no. But basically... BT, much like, you know, other companies around the world are wanting to outsource their back-end systems to focus more on the front-end customer side of things. So, look, some people will say it's a good thing. Some people will say it's a bad thing. It also depends on how you look at IBM these days, too. Now, I'm not, personally, I am not a fan of IBM at all. Not when you compare it to say Dell and HP, or preferably Dell for old mate. But when you look at IBM these days, they've definitely moved further away from the physical media to more of the cloud-based system. And that's where they're aiming at, all right? Their partnership with Red Hat. Sorry, not Red Hat. They were with Red Hat, now Microsoft is. but. Look, 
IBM got where they got by being bullish. And let's face it, it ain't cheap either. So, I mean, obviously BT's trying to cut costs, especially now. Um, Five-year deal. I mean, if they're toying with the idea of turning off the switch network by 2025, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But as I keep saying, the big concern I've got with IBM getting rid of the dead wood, you can pass, you can tell people about your experiences, but you can't give them that. And this is where I think IBM is going to, well, maybe not in the short term, it may not affect them, but definitely in the long term, it might. Um, yeah, not sure about that one. I mean, ideally, it's like here, here with um, Telstra. Telstra wants to split itself in two. For many years, they've been cleaning out their exchanges and renting out rack space in some of their main exchanges. I know here in Geelong, the main, uh, not the North Exchange, because I know about the North Exchange. And if you don't know about the North Exchange in Geelong, you've got a problem. You should, especially if you work here in Australia. But the Central Exchange, um, Telstra only has only owns outright, I think, one floor. The rest of it's all full of other provider systems. I mean, one whole floor is Optus. Now, most people who work around will know about the Northern Side Exchange. I definitely do. I've known about it for a long time. Um, and most Auss most Aussie IT and telco people will know about it. Um, but Telstra's been trying to split itself in two for ages as well. And they've outsourced a lot of management to other companies. Now, Telstra wants to buy NBN Co. I think that would cause more chaos than good. It'd be like the old ADSL days. But IBM... I mean, BT's mainframe going to IBM, at least we know it's an IBM mainframe. So we know that IBM is going to have some back end to it. That's fine. I see where people are saying we're concerned about losing our jobs, but the problem is we know IBM's on a clean out. So it'll be interesting to see where that one goes. There we go. Weekly wrap up for this week. This has been another presentation from Backyard Tech.